Hi, this is Jay Webb for International Gospel Hour. Since 1934, Churches of Christ have proclaimed God's Word through International Gospel Hour. Please stay tuned for another lesson on this program by Jeff Archie. Are you listening? The words of the Lord Jesus Christ are indeed a most precious plea. As we note from John 17, 20-21, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Dear friends, do you suppose unity was important to Christ? Oh, without a doubt. And on this very special broadcast today, we will consider the Bible plan for unity. But first, a thank you to our Jay Webb for his kind introductions. You'll hear Jay throughout our broadcast tell you about some other offers that are absolutely free from our work here at International Gospel Hour. And we always appreciate you, our listeners, for tuning in for our broadcast here on this station or podcast platform or wherever you may be hearing our work from International Gospel Hour. We hear from people from all over the world, and we're grateful for that. Continue to reach out to us and let us know how much this program is of help to you. And if you have any questions of study or something you are curious about, please let us know. And we will do our best to consider it and address it in a proper fashion. In light of Scripture, the Word of God. Again, let us discuss today our program, The Bible Plan for Unity. We're going to turn back the clock and study with the late Brother Franklin Camp. Brother Camp delivered this lesson in 1985 at the Freed Hardeman College Lectureship in Henderson, Tennessee. As a matter of fact... The planned airing of this broadcast is the week of that annual lectureship, now in its 86th year. So as a special kickoff of the lectureship, it is an honor to receive permission to use this material on this broadcast. And our very special thanks to Brother Doug Burleson, the director of the Freed Hardeman Now University Lectureship, for his work with us and helping us with our broadcast today with permission to use this material. Now, a little bit about Brother Franklin Kemp. He preached the gospel for more than 50 years, and a very special characteristic of Brother Kemp is that for many years he studied the Scripture for six hours a day, rising early to do so. He heard in his early years Brother Gus Nichols say that he studied the Bible for five hours a day. And Brother Camp knew that if he was going to be anywhere near the student of Brother Nichols and his ability, he was going to have to do it for six. What a wonderful thought. A prolific writer, a faithful gospel preacher, the amount of his work in a number of areas is too much to list here. Brother Camp passed in 1991, but we are delighted to preserve this special writing. His lecture titled, The Bible Plan for Unity. Now, friends, due to its length, we will present the first part today and part two next week at this same time. Always know if you miss a broadcast from International Gospel Hour, you can reach out to us 
and we will see to it that you will be able to hear that broadcast as we will direct you to the proper place to hear and download the broadcast that you miss. But first, friends, as we will look in the Bible for any plan of God, friends, we do so because the Bible is right. And when the Bible is right, friends, we need not to go anywhere else. Would you like to study further about the Bible? We have a very special free track discussing this very subject about the Bible is right. Here is our J. Webb with information how you can receive this free track for your study. Friends, we can look at this world and no doubt something is wrong. But did you know the Bible is right? We have a special free booklet we'd like to send you called Something is Wrong, But the Bible is Right. It is an exceptional study that clears away a lot of the confusion in the religious world and lets us see that the Bible is always right. Just call toll-free at 1-855-IGH-6988 and leave your name, address, and just say, Bible Tract. That's it. Again, call toll-free at 1-855-IGH-6988 and please leave your name, address, and just say, Bible Tract. You may also go to our website at internationalgospelhour.com, click on the Contact tab, and leave us the same information, name, address, and type Bible Tract in the message box. Another free offer of study from your friends here at International Gospel Hour. Now, back to our study. And now, friends, for part one of our lesson, The Bible Plan for Unity. Let us consider two areas, perfect unity and the problem. From the pen of Franklin Camp, The Bible Plan of Unity. The subject assigned me is one of major importance. It is good to see a renewed interest in the subject of unity. This is the plea of the restoration, but it is not merely the plea of the restoration. It is the plea of the Bible. One would think, in view of the talk about unity and what the Bible teaches about it, that it would be a simple subject. Evidently, this is not so in view of the division that exists in the denominational world. But division is not limited to the denominational world. It plagues the church. Yet in the midst of all the factions and splits in the church, each group is pleading for unity. Since each group is pleading for unity, why does division continue? Why are we still divided? Is it possible that we have oversimplified the subject? Is unity only an idea that cannot be reached? Is there something that we have overlooked in our plea for unity? Is the problem in our practice rather than in our plea? I have mixed emotions as I contemplate this study. In view of the divided condition we face, why should I think that I may offer some solution when others seem to have failed? On the other hand, I know that I know the Bible teaches unity, and the Bible does not demand the impossible or impractical. There must be some Bible plan for unity. What is it? It is my prayer that we will honestly and sincerely seek to know His will on this subject. As far as possible, let us begin our study without preconceived ideas and approach it with an open mind. In this way, we should be able to learn what the Bible has to say on the subject and see if our plea and our practice follows the Bible. 
I think in order for one to properly understand unity and the causes of division, it is necessary to know something of the background. Perfect unity is found in the first and second chapters of the book of Genesis. God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden. When God had completed the creation, He said that everything was good, Genesis 1.31. There was not a single flaw in His creation. There was not a single flaw in the lives of Adam and Eve. Nothing marred their fellowship with God and their fellowship one with another. God had made ample provision for their happiness, but their happiness was a byproduct of their perfect fellowship with God, which in turn created perfect fellowship between them. In Genesis 2, one sees God in the fellowship with man and the fellowship that existed between Adam and Eve. The creation gives a perfect picture of unity. Genesis 1 gives the picture of the perfect harmony in the divine Godhead. Genesis 1 shows that there is God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit involved in creation. But total harmony exists in the Godhead. The unity that existed in the Godhead becomes a pattern for the unity of man. Why should there not be perfect unity in the Godhead? There is nothing to mar the fellowship. Because there was perfection, there was harmony. Man's need for fellowship is seen in the fact that God created Eve for Adam. Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. The closest of this fellowship is seen in the fact that Eve was created from one of the ribs of Adam. When God brought the woman to Adam, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. In this picture of man and wife, one sees the picture of perfect unity. Adam and Eve in unity, one with the other, and both of them in fellowship with God. Thereby unity exists between man and God. The beginning of their unity, one with the other, was based upon their unity with God. Lest someone should think it fanciful thinking on my part to suggest this is a pattern and a picture of unity, then I raise the question, why did Paul appeal to this in Ephesians 5? The Ephesian letter is an epistle on the unity of the church. In Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22, Paul discusses the relationship of husbands and wives. In verse 31, he quotes from Genesis 2, but then in verse 32, he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Does this not suggest there is some connection between Genesis 2 and the unity Paul discusses in the Ephesian letter? There must be some principles in Genesis 2 that deal with the question of unity. Man was at peace with God, and the fellowship of Adam and Eve with each other grew out of their obedience to God. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Genesis two sixteen and 17. In the original creation there were perfection and orderliness. Everything had its place from the lowest forms of life up to the highest. And at the crown of creation stood man whom God had created in his own image. He was to have the dominion, Genesis 1, 26 and 28. It was his responsibility to control the creation in behalf of the Creator. The directions of God came from God through Adam, based upon the commands that God gave to Adam. The creation was under the authority of man, and man was under the authority of God. Through man, God's will would be done.
The principle of order and authority is basic to the peace and unity found in Genesis 1 and 2. Peace and unity prevailed in the garden as long as Adam accepted his responsibilities and lived in loving submission to the will of God. There, friends, we have perfect unity. But now, the problem. What happened to destroy this peace and fellowship that Adam and Eve enjoyed in chapter 2? The answer to this question is found in chapter 3. Man rejected the authority of God whose rule man was supposed to maintain. In doing so, he subjected himself to the authority of God's enemy, the one who would assume the title of Prince of the World, John 12:31. Man lost his unchallenged dominion over the creation. Man was deceived into believing that God was unfair. He was made to believe that, though God had given them a great deal, he hath withheld from them the best. Therefore they were led to question the will of God. They were made to believe they could do better for themselves than God was providing for them. In order to understand what the Bible teaches about unity, it is necessary to know what caused division. The solution will not be found until one has a knowledge of the cause of division. Let us examine Genesis 3 and see if we can analyze the root of division. The problem of division is rooted in sin, but what is the essence of sin? It may be that a part of our problem is in thinking about sin in the abstract. How could man give up the paradise in which God had placed for him for the fruits of sin? The consideration of this question may help us understand something about the depth of the problem of division and the difficulty of bringing about unity. Sin and selfishness are twins. Sin and self-will will always be found together. It is selfishness that opens the door to sin. All the elements of selfishness are found in Genesis 3. Read Genesis 3.6. Look at the essentials of sin. First, there is the doubt of God's goodness. Satan said, Yea, hath God said. This opened the door to lead Eve to question God's goodness, God's will, and God's way. Then follows a deception. Doubt opens the door to being deceived. When one has one's faith shaken in the reliability of God's will and God's word, one is open to deception. Then there is the appeal to desire. Look at verse 6. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. The entire verse shows there was an appeal to the fleshly desires of Eve. Desire leads to distortion. Eve distorted the command God gave. She added to it. Distortion then leads to denial. Satan first asked a question, and then in verse 4 he denied what God had said. Denial grows into disbelief, and disbelief into disobedience. Disobedience then produces division. Man was separated from God, but that was not the end of the division. Read the fourth chapter and see the division that existed between Cain and Abel. Now, we see the problem and its product. The problem is sin, and the product is division. If unity is to be found, it will have to come through the correction of the things we have just noted. Fellowship with God is essential for fellowship and unity among men. Adam brought sin into the world. Sin is the problem that divides. Therefore, one should not be surprised that a person would be necessary to solve the problem of sin and to bring unity. 
Listen to Romans five twelve through 17 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgressions, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. We are not left to guess as to the solution to the problem. Paul makes the argument that it was by a person, Adam, that sin was introduced into the world. And it was by a person that the solution to sin was to be found. That person was Christ. He further shows that it was by Adam that sin was introduced into the world, and that Christ is the answer to the problem of sin. Sin brought death, and Paul argued that, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 19-22. Again in the same chapter, verses 45-49, through Paul said, And so it is written, The first man Adam was made a living soul, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. One is not left then to guess at the necessity of a person to solve the problem of sin and to bring about unity. No sooner had man sinned than God announced that a person would be necessary to deal with sin and restoring fellowship with God and fellowship among men. Listen to Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This verse announced that it would take a person to undo what Adam had introduced into the world. The seed of woman pointed to Matthew 1. Again in Genesis 12, God in making the promise to Abraham said, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. The promise made to Abraham pointed to a person. Furthermore, in Genesis 22, God told Abraham to take Isaac and to offer him as a sacrifice. Abraham followed the directions of God and laid Isaac on the altar to offer him up as a sacrifice. God stayed Abraham's hand and stopped him from offering Isaac as the sacrifice. Abraham saw a ram caught in a thicket by his horns, and he took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. 
And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Animal sacrifice had been introduced in order to enable man to approach God. But here God pointed out to Abraham the fact that animal sacrifice was insufficient. Also, there was the indication that man, out of his own resources, could not provide that which was needed to redeem him from sin. The person who was needed to solve the problem of sin and to restore unity was more than a man. Then, following the sacrifice, God said to Abraham in Genesis 22:17 and 18, "...that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven." and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Genesis 22:17 and 18. The descendants of Abraham had grown into a nation. They were on their way toward the land of Canaan. Balak persuaded Balaam to try the curse of the nation of Israel. And, of course, those who are familiar with the story know that Balaam was unable to do so. But among other things, in Numbers 24:17, Balaam said, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. That is, without doubt, a reference to Christ. This indicates that the nation of Israel would not be the solution to the problem. It would not solve sin or unite men, either with God or with each other. Its mission was different. Then in Deuteronomy 18, 18, and 19, the Lord told Moses, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren. Like unto thee I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. We learn the fact that this person would be a prophet, that God would place his words in his mouth, and that men must be subject to him. In 2 Samuel seven twelve through 17 God renewed the promise made to Abraham and entered into covenant with David. Here is the promise of the kingdom and a throne, which the seed of David, to sit upon that throne. Again, that's 2 Samuel 12, or 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17. In Psalm 110, verse 4, the psalmist said, The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Isaiah 7.14 points to the virgin birth. And Isaiah 9.6 says the government would be upon his shoulders, that he would be deity, the prince of peace. Daniel saw the end of the captivity and the people's returning, but he looked beyond that. In Daniel 9.24 and 25, he prophesied that there would be reconciliation made for sins to bring in everlasting righteousness, and he announced that it would be the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Zechariah six twelve and 13 points to Christ as the fulfillment of the prophecy of the branch, that he would build the temple and that he would sit and rule upon his throne and be a priest upon his throne. Let me turn back to the Old Testament now for one other verse. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be, Genesis 49.10. Jacob, the one through whom the nation of Israel was to develop, looked down the stream of time and saw the solution, not in the nation, but in a person. He saw it in Shiloh, the peacemaker. Dear friends, let us pause here. 
Time will not permit us to continue this wonderful lesson from the pen of the late Brother Franklin Camp. We will continue this thought again in our next broadcast of our lengthier program here from International Gospel Hour. The time and the place of which you are hearing this broadcast will conclude it in our next session. We wish to pause here at this point. We will come back with a quick wrap-up. But first, our brother Jay Webb has some good words about a free home Bible study. We love to offer our free home Bible study to all of our listeners. We want you to embrace this study, and our Jay Webb will tell you all about it. Your friends at the International Gospel Hour are offering absolutely free a Bible study course by mail. You may study in the privacy of your own home at your own pace. Feel free to give it a try. Please call toll-free at 1-855-IGH-6988 and leave your name, address, and just say, Home Study. That's it. Again, call toll-free at 1-855-IGH-6988 and please leave your name, address, and just say, Home Study. You may also go to our website at internationalgospelhour.com, click on the Contact tab, and leave us the same information, name, address, and type Home Study in the message box. We'll send it right away. Thank you for your interest in the things of God. And now, back to Jeff. Kind friends, how thankful we are for this wonderful study of the Bible plan of unity. As we have examined, there was perfect unity with God and man until sin entered into the world. And as sin entered into the world, we see that God already had a plan for man and how well Brother Camp is bringing that forth. He has carried us through the Old Testament and its prophecies aiming toward Christ. Next week, we will continue the thought of the problem of unity, but we will continue to see the goodness that will come forth through Jesus Christ. We want you to join us again next week as we wrap up this study of the Bible plan for unity. Thank you for joining me today here on the International Gospel Hour broadcast. We look forward to you joining us each and every time. And dear friends, until next time, I'm Jeff Archie. Please keep listening. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We hope first that it glorified God. But second, we hope that it edified you. Listen to it again if you need to, or to other lessons in this series by going to the Media tab at our site, internationalgospelhour.com. God, we